Matthew 22, interesting passage, a little bit of a conflict going on here in uh, verse number 15, Matthew 22, verse 15. says, Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. Now, what was the motive of the Pharisees here? He, he really uh, you know, lays it out. Matthew here uh, uh, tells us that the, the heart of them, the heart is uh, they want to trick Jesus. They want to entangle him, right? Verse number 16 and they sent out unto him their disciples uh, with uh, Herodians. Now these were uh, the Pharisees' disciples, saying, Master, we know that thou art true and teachest the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of man. In other words, you don't care what people think. You want to speak truth, all right? And uh, he says, uh, Tell us, therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? Now, keep in mind, the Jews were oppressed by Caesar. They were oppressed by, uh, by the government, and I'm sure it was kind of, the, uh, kind of the, the mindset, the heart of the Jewish people. I'm sure they complained about it a lot. I'm sure they murmured with one another about the oppressive Romans. And so here he is ministering to the Jews. Surely he would say, ah, you know, just stick it to Caesar. Don't, don't give him anything, right? Don't pay the taxes. Here's what he says. Um, verse, eight, verse 18, But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why tempt ye me, ye hypocrites? Show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny, and he said unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? They said unto him, Caesar's. Then saith he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. When they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. By the way, these were the disciples that were sent out. It's amazing how they would send their, their students, if you would, to go tempt Jesus. He'd give them an answer and they'd leave. And I can just see them back there saying, well, did you ask him this? Did you, you know, why don't you go face Jesus, okay, and, and try, to, try to tempt him? But it's amazing how the wisdom of God and the word of God will uh, many times silence the adversaries. But let's have a word of prayer and uh, as we get into this, uh, as we talk about a believer's civic duty. Our Father, we thank you for uh, today. We thank you for our country. And Lord, we're not perfect, and in many regards, we've drifted from our uh, Christian foundations and uh, in ways even tempted God. But Lord, we do plead for your grace on this great land once again. Father, I'm thankful for, for some things that are taking place around our country and some godly leaders being put in place. And, and uh, Lord, I just uh, pray that as we celebrate our nation today and remember your hand in our nation, I pray that you'd help us. You've given us a tremendous gift of freedom. May we not squander it. May we steward it well. And Father, we pray that you'd guide and direct now in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, each of us long for liberty and freedom. But where do our liberties come from? How, how, do, how do we secure those liberties? Liberty and freedom are similar words, as, uh, as Brother Chris mentioned. Uh, they both carry the idea of uh, being unfettered or unopposed, uh, especially by another. Liberty comes from the Middle French, and uh, freedom comes from the Middle English. Two words that we've drawn from, if you would, even two cultures. Two great words represented by uh, 
by two valiant women. Uh, uh, we have uh, the Statue of Freedom and the Statue of Liberty. One was a gift from France with the torch of freedom being held by Lady Liberty there in New York's harbor. By the way, it's amazing how small it looks. So you get right up to it. The other is on top of a, the Capitol building in D.C., another statue that you really can't see standing outside looking up. So they have a giant replica of it inside the Capitol building where you can walk right up to it and look at that enormous statue. It's a statue of freedom, and it faces east, uh, well-positioned to defend our freedom from the foreign powers from across the sea. And every individual citizen uh, feels the duty to preserve freedom and liberty. Or at least they should. And to pass on that torch to the next generation. You know, we have something special and something unique in America. These concepts are foreign to a lot of other countries. In fact, some people have been under oppression for so long that when they finally get a free government, they don't have to do with it, and it's not long before another oppressor comes in. There's something different about America. But where do our liberties come from? This is actually what's divided our nation. It's what's dividing our nation even today, and it really it's what's at stake in uh, this next election. It has been the debate between uh, creationists and atheists for years. It's <clears throat> one is based in secular humanism, and the other, of course, is based in Judeo-Christianity. Jesus, in our text, says, uh, says, Show me the tribute money, and they showed him a penny. I'm going to use our penny as an illustration, and it's not actually a penny. The word pennies doesn't even show up on there. It's, uh, it says there, one cent. And a cent, of course, is, uh, is one percent of the whole, and the whole being a dollar, which I think today is worth about 17 cents. Um, that's our penny. Our penny has three phrases on it. Really, all our coins have three phrases on it. The first one is uh, e pluribus unum which is Latin for out of many, one. It's very similar, and it's connected to the word Salem, which, uh, which is the name for Jerusalem, and it means peace. And really, you can't have peace without, uh, without elements uh, combating for dominance. You're not going to have peace in a vacuum, so to speak. Uh, uh, peace is something that, that needs to have some perspective to it. And out of many, one, we have that Shalom, that peace coming out of that. That's our nation. Now, originally that, that phrase was coined from the 13 colonies, separate autonomous colonies, yet unified as one. But how that meaning has grown in richness as America has really become a melting pot of cultures and ideas and backgrounds coming together, bringing, not leaving it behind necessarily, but bringing it all together and making what it makes America so rich in its culture, in its diversity, out of many, one. It's a traditional motto of the United States, e pluribus unum, and it's on our seal. The next word shows up on the coin that says liberty. It's on every coin that we have, and, uh, and the question again is, where does liberty come from? Is it that we just do whatever we want? Does it come from feelings? Well, well, this is how I was raised. This is how I was brought up. These are my th thoughts on it. Or, or does it come some, from somewhere else? Which leads to the next phrase, in God we trust. 
You know, every piece of money that we have, have those words on it, in God we trust. You know, as we were singing uh, that song, uh, My Country Tis of Thee, there are a couple of phrases in there that, uh, that really, um, I believe, share the heart, really, of our founders and what they had desired in our nation. Uh, um, uh, what was it, 780? Thank you. Um, actually, it was, uh, oh, beautiful for spacious skies. And it said, um, uh, America, America, may God thy gold refine. That, the, these blessings, the riches, all that, you come, recognize it comes from God. I, and by the way, I don't want it any other way. To all success be nobleness and every gain, what? Divine. From God. You know what they put emphasis on? Character, nobleness. And from God, divine. And, and, and this concept, well, well, what does the Bible say about trusting in, in, uh, in uh, filthy lucre? <laughs> they understood that with success could, it comes a propensity to forget God. You see, we don't trust the currency in our pocket. We trust in God, and it's, I think it's, a, it's an awesome testimony uh, and a reminder for every one of us that every time you pull out uh, a legal tender, you're reminded not to trust it, but I trust God. I want to read you something and how that phrase came about. It's from the Treasury Department's website. It appeared first in a letter dated November 13, 1861. It was written to Secretary Chase by Reverend Watkinson, minister of the gospel in Pennsylvania, and it read, Dear Sir, you are about to submit your annual, annual report to Congress respecting the affairs of the national finances. One fact touching our currency has hitherto been seriously overlooked. I mean the recognition of the Almighty God in some form on our coins. You are probably a Christian. Well, that's our heritage, to assume those in the Treasury Department are Christians. What if our republic were not shattered beyond reconstruction? You see, we're in the midst of a civil war during this time. Would not the antiquaries, uh, those looking through our antiques, the, through our, uh, her, our, our, what we've left behind, of succeeding centuries, rightly reason from our past that we were a heathen nation? Would I propose that instead of the, uh, of the goddess of liberty, <laughs> we shall have next inside the 13 uh, stars a ring inscribed with the words, uh, perpetual union. With the rings, the all-seeing eye crowned with a halo beneath the eye of the American flag bearing in its fields stars equal, uh, equal to the number of the states united. In the folds of the uh, bars, the words God, liberty, and law. This would make a beautiful coin to which no possible citizen could object. This would relieve us of the ignominy of heathenism. This would place us openly under divine protection we have personally claimed. From my hearth, I have felt our national shame in disowning God as not the least of our present national disasters. As a result, Secretary Chase instructed James uh, Pollock, director of the Mint at Pennsylvania, to prepare a motto in a letter dated November 20, 1861. He said, Dear Sir, no nation can be strong except in the strength of God. Folks, these were public officials. 
or safe except in His defense. The trust of our people in God should be declared on our national coins. You will cause a device to be prepared with, uh, without unnecessary delay with a motto expressing in the fewest and tiercest words possible this national recognition. It was found that the Act of Congress dated J January 18, 1837 prescribed the mottos and, de and devices that should be placed upon the coins of the United States. This meant that the Mint could make no changes without the enactment of additional legislation by the Congress. He proposed that upon the designs, uh, uh, either God, uh, or excuse me, either country, God, or trust should appear on the motto of the coins. In a letter uh, to the Mint Director on December 9th, 1863, Secretary Chase stated, I approve your motto is only suggesting that on uh, the one with Washington observes the motto, uh, excuse me, a, a, a verse, the motto should begin with the word our, so as to read our God and our country. And on that with the shield, it would be, uh, be changed so as to read, in God, or excuse me, yeah, in God we trust. In other words, it was a minister of God that reached out to the people of government and said, Sirs, this is a national shame. We need to do something. We've got to do something about this. And they responded with, you know what? You are right. And they set the wheels in motion. Let me just say, we can make a difference. It's been done in history. I'm reminded just a few short years ago, the state from which I fled. There was a bill put up that would outlaw counseling for those who were confused about their gender. And banning of selling any literature that might help them in the counseling process to include the Bible. You know, the Bible talks about those issues. In effect, in a roundabout way, that bill, would, uh, if, if passed into law, would have outlawed the selling of Bibles in the state of California. It was passed. It sat on the governor's desk. All the governor had to do was nothing and it would go through. It came up to the day before. A pastor that I personally know called the governor and said, Mr. Governor, you have sitting on your desk this bill. And I don't know if you understand its ramifications, but this is what it will do to the churches in your state. We implore you to veto it. And that ungodly, wicked governor vetoed it. Because one pastor made a phone call. In visiting with the senators, we asked them, so how many calls on a topic, we asked the staffer actually, how many calls on a topic do you need to receive before it gets the senator's attention? I was thinking 200, 300. Oh, about half a dozen or so. Did you know we have that influence in this room? On any topic. Not saying we'll necessarily persuade their vote, but they can sure hear what the people that they claim to represent have to say about some things. We can make a difference. We need to be engaged and we need to be involved. This foolishness that we did not start as a Christian nation, 
Um, you know, we were in the, in the throes of a national revival around the time of the birth of our nation. It was the second great awakening in America. People like uh, uh, Jonathan Edwards and, uh, and George Whitfield. George Whitfield, a very close friend of Benjamin Franklin. God made George Whitfield for preaching, by the way. Before the advent of amplification, he could preach to crowds of 20 and 30,000 in the open air. Ben Franklin was curious. You know, he likes to do science experiments. He wanted to see how far he can get away and still hear him preach. So he goes to the very end of this 30,000-person crowd, and he's hearing it loud and clear. He keeps on going, and, and of course, this was kind of a backwoods revival thing, and he got so far away from the crowd, he started making his way back into town and could hear him. He was such a uh, uh, breaking-of-the-mold kind of a preacher. He had this uh, little cage. My wife and I went to the Museum of the Bible, and uh, we got to see a replica of the cage that Whitfield would preach from. And he would travel, put it in the back of his, uh, of his horse-drawn uh, uh, trailer, and, uh, and he'd go town to town. He'd set up this cage that would uh, elevate him, a pulpit, if you would, uh, above the people so he can project. And, uh, boy, all the other pastors in town says, this is not how it's supposed to be done. Imagine that. By the way, all their churches were dead, and sin was running rampant in their communities. And he would be very animated as he'd preach, and he'd wave his arms and say, a man of God, a minister of the gospel, should not, should not uh, be, be doing this kind of stuff. But you know what was happening? People were getting saved. People were running home and pouring their booze down the sink. Business owners were going to their, their shops and, and adjusting their scales to, to have an honest balance when they'd buy groceries and so forth. They would, they would tip the scale just a little bit just to get a few extra cents from people and they'd go and start doing things ethically. I'm saying the revival would change the very fabric of America and, and this was what was going on during the time of the birth of our nation. The first act of Congress, besides figuring out the exact wording of the oath of office, was printing of 50,000 Bibles for the Indians. The first act of Congress. The consensus of the people can be found in the hearts of the delegates of the 13 colonies who wrote the Declaration of Independence. It speaks of the laws of nature and nature's God. By the way, there's an ungodly organization out there called Freedom From Religion Foundation. And they contest that nowhere in the Constitution or the Declaration of Independence is God referenced. You know, if you just scanned it, look for all the capital letters, that'd probably be a good place to start. Just look for the capitalizations. You're going to find things like Almighty, Sovereign, a lot of these things. They're talking about God. They're not talking about a king. Law, uh, the laws of nature and nature's God that entitled them. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and they are endowed by their capital C creator with certain unalienable rights. In other words, rights that cannot be taken away. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Further down it says, we affirm reliance on the protection of divine providence. Capital D, capital P. Fifty years after the birth of our nation, a stately Frenchman known as de Tocqueville said this, 
Religion in America takes no direct part in the government of society, but it must be regarded as the first of their political institutions. I am certain they hold it to be indispensable to the maintenance of Republican institutions. And use the word Republican, not talking about a party, but uh, means government by law. He's saying that one thing he notices is that religion does not play a part in politics, but it must be regarded as their first political institution. In other words, before you go to the polls, you go to church. Before you vote, before they, they would draft uh, bills, before all that, they made sure they were in church. They made sure they were in prayer. They made sure they did these things. You know, we almost lost this country after we won the Revolutionary War. Because 13 hard-headed representatives could not agree on anything. You know, the first draft of, the, of a constitution, anything that resembled the constitution, they scrapped. That was garbage. They couldn't agree on anything. And there was a lot of unrest and unease in the people that they represented. After all this, is this where we're going to lose as a nation? Then one man who was typically kind of quiet, but whenever he spoke, people listened, stood up. Went by the name of Benjamin Franklin. And he said a speech he's well known for, a phrase in there uh, uh, that, that he's known for, but uh, he quoted the Bible some 17 times in this impromptu speech he gave before these other delegates. And he said this, quoting, uh, referencing Christ, if a sparrow could not fall from the sky without God taking note, could it be that a nation would arise without his aid? And he implored the group there to go into a prayer meeting. Others wrote about that meeting as they wrote uh, back home. They read an entire psalm and then they went on their face before God and prayed for hours. They came up from their knees and drafted the longest standing constitution in world history. But we're not a Christian nation. He said this, uh, talking about de Tocqueville again. This opinion is particular, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, peculiar. Excuse me, this opinion is not peculiar to a class of citizens or to a party but it belongs to the whole nation and to every rank of society. The idea of putting their religion and their faith uh, 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 as it motivates, if you would, their politics, though religion and politics were separate. That's our history, folks. That's our legacy as Americans. That's what we're defending. And let me just say, all this is at stake. And in, every, in, in previous elections, this has always been at stake, and now it falls in our lap. It's kind of funny, every, uh, every uh, election cycle, all the talk show radio hosts say, this is the, important, the most important election in my lifetime. But you know, every single election is the most important election in our lifetime. And that torch we talked about, it's, we're holding it now. What am, what am I going to pass on to my son? Is that torch going to be a rusted out old relic? Or is it still going to be a flame with the liberty that ignites America? What will be left to pass on? 
It does land in our lap, and, and let me say, uh, we can make a difference. You know, every state constitution recognizes God. It was something that was started in the, very, in the first 13 colonies when they went into statehood. And it still is there today. North Carolina, we the people of the state of North Carolina, grateful to Almighty God, the sovereign ruler of nations. New Jersey, the conservative state of New Jersey. We, the people of the state of New Jersey, grateful to Almighty God for the civil and religious liberty which He hath so long permitted to us to enjoy, uh, and looking to Him for a blessing upon our endeavors. How about New York? We, the people of the state of New York, grateful to Almighty God for our freedom. Rhode Island. We, the people of the state of Rhode Island and uh, 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 excuse me, Providence Plantations, grateful to Almighty God for the civil and religious liberty which He hath so long permitted us to enjoy in looking to Him for a blessing upon our endeavors. California. We, the people of the state of California, grateful to Almighty God for our freedom in order to secure and perpetuate its blessings. You say, well, that's fine. A lot of those states are kind of old. How about one of our newest states, the 49th state? State of Alaska. We, the people of Alaska, grateful to God and to those who founded our nations and pioneered this great land. All 50 states have a recognition of God in their state's constitution. Constitution of the United States. All the limitations in the Constitution of the United States are placed upon government and none of them are placed upon the people. And can I say, none of them are placed upon the church. You know, the church is not mentioned at all in the Constitution. Wait a minute, what about that whole separation of church and state? I know that's in the Constitution. Yeah, yeah, there was a wise man once said, if you tell a lie long enough and loud enough, people tend to believe it. It's not in the Constitution. In fact, the phrase separate church and state comes from a letter Thomas Jefferson wrote 11 years later after the Constitution had been accepted and ratified. Uh, ratified. In the letter, uh, he was concerned that the government, government should stay out of church. But Christians have a duty to be involved in government. We've got a beautiful heritage and liberty given by God. And, and I believe the scream of the American eagle becomes the twitter of a frightened sparrow when we think that we can get along without God. We are in desperate need of God now more than ever. Listen, we dare not trust in our finances. We dare not trust in even the way it's worked before. We dare not trust in even the blessings of God, but rather in the God who blesses. In Matthew 22, Jesus said, show me a penny. We talked a lot about our concern but little about our influence. What is our duty as believers? What is our duty as American Christians, patriots? What's our responsibility, our privilege with government? First of all, I want to say we are to participate in our government. Let's see if this will get going again. I think I disconnected. There we are. We are to participate in our government. You know, I've talked with many pastors who really struggle about this. Are we supposed to be involved? Are we supposed to talk about it? Or, you know, Democrat, Republican, and all this stuff. And, and uh, you know, how much do I really say from the pulpit? How much should I say? And, and uh, uh, you know, they really struggle with this. But I want to say, the Bible addresses the issues before they became political issues. 
You know, we have people in our church that did not vote for President Trump. And I say, get out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and you know what? That's fine. They're welcome here. And there are people that, uh, that have voted, you know, in different ways, and, and I think they should find their place. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to look to the Word of God and let, and let that start to develop. It, shouldn't it touch on all areas of life, by the way? It does touch on all areas of life. And the closer we line ourselves up with the Bible, then we go to the polls and we go to the, the voting booths. You know what we're going to find? We're going to find somewhat of a consistency with all of us, a, a little bit of a camaraderie in those areas. And you might vary on some things. But as we go to the Word of God, it is amazing how much we are going to be in line with other Bible-believing Christians. And by the way, that term Bible-believing is key. Because we have a lot of humanistic Christians as well. Verse number 21 in our text here, and I'll, I'll go through this part quickly. It says, They said unto him, Caesar's. Then saith he to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and to God the things which are God's. Now, Caesar for us is a government of the people, for the people, and by the people. We don't have a Caesar, praise the Lord. And so that's what we're rendering to. And I think the scandal of our time is bad citizenship of good people. We're not involved. We don't participate. Listen, it is inconceivable that the God who created government would want his people out of it. Chew on that for a second. The God who ordained government would want his people out of it and not involved? You know, they can't, this pushing of this idea of separation church and state, it comes to the point where they say, oh, you are a believer or you have faith? You can't be involved. And is that not a discussion that came up over and over again in the confirmation of recent justices? If you've been paying attention. I don't think we should confirm him. He's too Catholic. I don't think we should confirm them. They have convictions based on the Bible. Apparently, they've not read some of the statements of the early justices in America. Did you know in the early days in America, you could not become a lawyer until you first had a theology degree? How could you practice law without knowing the lawgiver? In the chambers of Congress, my wife and I had the privilege to go and sit in there, and we sat on the left side. And we prayed over those chairs. They needed it more than the right side. The right side needs it. On the walls, in the chambers of Congress, you see, when you look on TV, it's always kind of looking down on the people and the one presiding over the meeting right there. On the walls, you have uh, philosophers and great minds of the ages. And if this was the raised platform, you have that raised desk there, right? Uh, remember where a uh, president gave the State of the Union there, and you had the Speaker of the House, and you had the Vice President, you had them right there, and you had the famous tearing of the speech, and we won't get into all that. Directly opposite of the one that presides over there, Staring at the only bust that is the full face rather than the sides is the face of Moses, representing the lawgiver. And every time a bill is passed, every time something's brought to the floor, that president residing over that, that, uh, that uh, uh, session has to look at the face of Moses as they make their decisions. And then, of course, over them is the words in God. We trust. 
God is the inventor of human government, and he wants us engaged. We dare not separate ourselves from human government any more than we would separate God from government. The thought comes, well, how can I make a difference? America is just going in a direction. It doesn't really matter anymore. How many times have I heard people say, I just don't even bother voting anymore because my vote doesn't count? In 1645, one vote gave Oliver Cromwell control over all of England. In 1649, one vote caused Charles I of England to be executed. One vote. In 1776, one vote gave America the English language rather than the German. In 1800, Thomas Jefferson was elected president by one vote in the House of Representatives after a tie in the Electoral College. One vote. What if they didn't show up that day? In 1824, Andrew Jackson won the presidential popular vote, but lost by one vote in the House of Representatives to John Quincy Adams after the Electoral College deadlocked. In 1839, one vote elected Marcus Morton governor of Massachusetts. In 1867, the Alaska Purchase was ratified by the Senate by two votes, paving the way for future statehood. Two votes for our state. 1868, one vote saved President Andrew Jackson from impeachment. In 1876, one vote gave uh, Rutherford B. Hayes the presidency. In uh, 1923, one vote made Adolf Hitler the leader of the Nazi party. One vote. In 1962, uh, governors of Maine, Rhode Island, North Dakota were elected by an average of one vote per precinct. Weird year. In 1994, 1.1 votes per precinct in Alaska elected Tony Knowles as governor. In 2020, one vote made the Republican Party disdain and distrust a senator from Utah. During an impeachment hearing. One vote. You see, I'm only one, but I'm one. And I can't do everything, but I can do something, and what I can do, I ought to do. You know, there are a lot of local issues going on. It's amazing how many people are involved in an election year, and this is an election year, and this is why I want to emphasize this, and we're probably going to touch on it again. <clears throat> but you know, local issues touch us at home more than national issues. You know what's amazing? How we'll put in a conservative mayor, but put in all liberal, um, I'm sorry, council, assemblymen, thank you, or council members and assemblymen. And what happens? Well, we see what's happening in our, in our nation. Nothing. Not getting anywhere. And, and you know, we, we look at the big ones, but, but what about the school board? What are our kids learning anyway? You say, well, I, I don't put my kids in school. Well, guess what? Your kid's future spouse may be in that school. Our society is in that school. Our future mayor, our future leaders, our uh, people that are going to make a difference in our lives are in that school. And let me say this. I think, I think some of us in this room ought to be praying about that. I mean, one day a month? I think I can do that. One day a week for uh, council members? I think I can do that. You've got to be praying about that. You know, there are some vacancies in, um, in uh, 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 not the school board, but the, um, what are they called? Uh, 
uh, boy. They have those special councils. Um, uh, I'm sorry, what? Yeah, councils is what they're called. Yeah, uh, within the school board, those are volunteer positions. There was a vacancy, and I know somebody that took the position for the diversity council. And let me just say, that's an area we need some conservatives. Because the diversity council does not like diversity. They like diversity if you agree with them, but that's not diversity. So there's even non-elected positions we can fill. We can go down and we can listen. Um, you know what, what bothers me is how many unopposed seats there are on both sides of the aisle. There are not enough people concerned to even challenge the ones that are in. And we say, well, I don't like the decisions they're making down in Juneau. Well, how come no one's opposing them? Well, someone else will do it. I'm just saying, you ought to pray. You know, there was a time in our country where the two highest uh, 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 things that we would challenge our young people to go after are this. The clergy or politics. And they were kind of both viewed like the greatest service you can do. Interesting. Now we make jokes about politics. And ministers, but... I found this out while we were over there. There's a wonderful uh, historian and speaker that spoke to us, and he gave us the tour. We had a midnight tour of the Capitol building and heard some awesome stories. And, um, but he was sharing this. He was, a, uh, he was a representative back in the 90s. And uh, he said, right, right now, you know, sometimes we get a little frustrated with the Republicans saying they're not doing anything, not getting anything done. But he said, right now, we have a Democrat-controlled House. And you know what that means? That means... The Speaker of the House decides every agenda. They will not hear a single Republican bill that is proposed. The only time they'll hear anything from a Republican is if it's bipartisan. And even then. You see how important this is? Well, we got a Republican in the White House. Well, I wonder what he could have gotten done. By the way, I'm thankful for our president. I'm thankful for the speech he gave yesterday. He said, we're not going to tolerate people tearing down monuments and trying to erase history and rewrite our history and, and use this term and indoctrinate our children. Bold. There's a ministry in New York, and I want, to, I want people here to pray about something like this. A pastor there, he's got a, a ministry. He's involved in, uh, of course, New York, a very liberal state. And uh, what they do is... Uh, they have one kind of liaison who's in charge of keeping in touch with uh, politicians and senators and things like that, and, and they get all the latest, uh, uh, what, what this bill is going to do or what this thing is going to do, and then they have a whole team that this one person passes information on to. Here's what it is, and here's what it represents, and here's, here's uh, probably what we should recommend that they vote on it. And what they do then is they call, and they make phone calls many times the same day. Hey, if, uh, if the senator's uh, phone starts getting swam swamped with 50, 100 people in one day about a bill, he might take note. And in a state like New York, the way they look at it is one phone call probably represents 1,000 concerned citizens. They have young people, teenagers call. And they'll say, Senator, my name is Johnny, and I'm only 17. But this bill is going to impact me, and one day I'm going to be a voter. And I want to ask you to vote no on this. 
I was like, that is cool. Send emails. By the way, it's not like you have to have a long conversation. You just say, I'm in this district, so-and-so, I'm a voter, and I'd ask that you'd vote no on this, or you'd vote yes on this. And they say, okay, and they take down your information. We could do that. We can get other churches involved. How many times we hear uh, how many Christians, believers, don't vote, don't get involved. We can control every election, especially here in the interior, local stuff. But we don't know. We're ignorant. We need to participate in our government. Let me just say, uh, you need to get involved. You ought to pray about what can I do? What would God have me to do? Secondly, we should pay for government. Uh, some have the idea that government should pay for us. Bernie Sanders, right? And that's a great thought. Government pays for everything. It's a great thought. Problem is it doesn't work. But it's a great thought. <laughs> it means we're supposed to pay taxes. As he says, render unto Caesars the things that are Caesars. Uh, and, you know, I know there are programs, and I'm, you know, I'm glad there are things for those who need those or needs, needs help up, if you would. But, uh, but if you're a good citizen, you ought to keep track of how much you take and how much you put in. And you ought to make sure that you're a contributor and not a taker. As Christian citizens, make sure that you're contributing to the government, not siphoning off the government. In Matthew 17, Jesus told Peter to go fishing and catch a fish with a coin in its mouth and pay his tax. By the way, what a great illustration how God's going to take care of things. You do what you're supposed to do, and God will take care of it. How many of you would like to catch a fish with some money in its mouth, okay? Uh, I know that's what uh, some folks are doing this weekend down in Valdez. They're looking for some money. Uh, some fish with a coin in the mouth. You ought to pay your tax. Look to the person next to you and say, pay the tax. Pay the tax. No one did it. Just look to somebody in the room and say, pay your taxes. You ought to pay your taxes. We, you know, we, we, we can't, we, and by the way, we can't go too far with this. The Bible teaches clearly that if a man doesn't work, neither should he eat. But it says if he doesn't work, not if he can't work. I, I, you know, I'm thankful for those to help people out that, that, that find themselves in that situation, but, uh, but don't be one that abuses it. Don't be one that, uh, you know, pay the tax. Be a contributor. Thirdly and lastly, we ought to pray for our government. We ought to pray for our government. First Timothy 2, verse number 1 says, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, what's the, what's the position it's placed? First of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of things be made for all men, for kings, we could say leadership, government, for all that are in authority, that we may lead quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness and honesty. You know what? If the government stays out and we live charactered lives, that's what it should look like. And so we ought to pray to that end. But can I say the more wicked society gets, the more government has to get its hands in there? We leave them no choice. Just look at the recent experiment that they called Chaz. How did that go? How did they like their liberty? You see, liberty, as uh, Chris so well said this morning, liberty is something that it should cause us to do, uh, 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 get the freedom to do what we ought to do, not necessarily the freedom to do what we want to do. We start using liberty as an occasion of the flesh, as the Bible says. We start using liberty to sin we'll actually be putting chains on. He says, Given a thing, uh, For kings, for all that are in authority, that may live quietly and peaceful lives in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. 
There's a story up on Capitol Hill about this arrogant politician who, who toted that he was not a believer, did not believe in God. By the way, I don't believe there's anybody that absolutely does not believe in God. But he said he didn't believe in God, and, uh, and there was a, 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 a godly patriot woman there that was uh, passed him in the hallways and said, uh, said uh, Senator, I'm, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. He said, oh, is that because the Bible says you're supposed to pray for those that are in authority? He says, well, that is true, but that's not why I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you because the Bible tells me to pray for those that persecute you. <laughs> hey, take your complaint to God. Pray. Do your duty. Participate. Pay and pray. That's what God calls his people to do. That's what a patriot does. And I just want to say, every one of us are good at complaining. We love to complain. Few do their duty. The liberty that's ignited in America is really the freedom that we have from God. That's what so motivated our founders. That this is really a crime against God when people are oppressed. It's not something from man, but it's from God. And indeed, it is a spiritual battle. Those that believe that freedoms come from government. And that government should be the end all and give us everything. But if we're Bible believers, we're going to find a different story. That these things come from God. And that every one of us are endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights. And that's where it comes from. So I want to challenge us uh, this morning to be a good patriot Christian. I love this country. I can't say I'm excited about every direction and every decision that's taking place. But I love this country. And while I have breath and while I'm alive, I'm going to fight for this country. I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight with my vote. I'm going to fight with my voice. But I'm going to fight. And I encourage you to do the same. Would you do me this favor? Would you pray and ask God, Lord, is there something you'd have me to do beyond? Is there an area in government here locally maybe that I, that I should be a part of? I know, listen, none of us have time. I know we're all busy. But maybe that's something God would have you to do. School board, council member, something. I've been approached several times for a few of those, and I said, I'm pastoring a church right now. But I'll be there. I'll, I'll, I'll speak out on issues. I'll do what I can. You ought to pray. Say, God, is there something you'd have me to do? If you are not registered to vote, my wife will be out there to have that ready to go, and uh, you can see her and uh, get that taken care of. Uh, don't let it pass, because before long, the deadline will hit. And then you'll be like, oh, I should have done when I had the chance. So I'll do it at home. You know, just, just take care of it. It takes two minutes. Really, it does. There are five tabs. You fill in, and you'll be done. And uh, just encourage you to do that. Uh, and then these voting guides and the discipleship books for the teenagers. And that's what I got. Why don't we have a word of prayer uh, this morning?